0: Has always existed and is the creator of everything. God is the only one in the story who always does what is good and right and perfect. And the Bible calls him holy. While God created the foundations of the earth, angels, his first creation, were there watching. They sang together and they worshiped God. But some of these angels rebelled against God in his ways. And the Bible teaches that all rebellion against God is called sin. And because of God's holiness, He will never allow sin to remain in His presence. So He sent the rebellious angels, now known as demons, down into darkness on the earth. Then God decided to create another being called humans in His own image. God said, let us make mankind in our image to be like us. He then prepared the earth as a place for the humans to live, filling the earth with plants and birds and fish and animals of all kinds. And God created the first humans, Adam and Eve, breathing his own breath into them, giving him life. And he placed them in a beautiful garden and trusted them to care for and rule over all the creation on earth. And he told them, be fruitful and multiply. Daily, God would come and spend time with the humans, walking with them in the cool of the day. And he showed them how to live life in the best possible way. A life lived close to God and under his protection. A life that is full and complete and eternal And God looked over all that he had created, and he saw that it was very good. Unfortunately, Adam and Eve eventually chose to rebel against God and his authority, choosing to live in their own ways instead of his. And since God will not allow evil and rebellion to remain in his presence, Adam and Eve were sent out of the garden, away from God. And separated from God and no longer following his ways, they were now subject to sickness and pain and death. And God told them, The way you've chosen to live will bring you great struggle and pain. And then you'll return to the ground from which you came. Not only were these humans now separated from God because of their sin, but they would also now suffer death as they were separated from the giver of life. After leaving the garden, the number of humans on earth grew rapidly. Sin spread from Adam and Eve to their sons, and it continued to spread from generation to generation. Even though humans were created in God's image, Everyone chose to disobey God. They all constantly acted out in selfishness and violence against each other. And this went on for thousands of years. Then God established a special relationship and a covenant promise representing the deepest of all agreements with a man named Abraham. God told Abraham, I'll make you the father of a great nation and famous throughout history. I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. The entire earth will be blessed through your descendants. And remember, I will always be your God, and you will always be my people. Abraham's family, called the Israelites, were to be a new kind of people who would show the world what it means to once again live in God's ways. And God gave them a vast amount of land where they enjoyed his blessings as they grew into a large nation. But as time went by, the Israelites began doing what was right in their own eyes and rebelled against God and his commands. They stopped trusting in God, and they worshipped idols, people and things, wealth and power over God. and In the rebellion, the Israelites faced great struggles, and they ended up a defeated nation of slaves. But God continued to love his people, and he promised that one day, one of their own descendants would come to rescue and restore humanity and all creation back to the way that God had originally created it. And then there was 400 years of silence between God and his people. The Israelites, called Jews, had been under the control of other nations for hundreds of years. They were now ruled by Rome, the most powerful empire the world had ever known. Finally, God sent an angel to a young woman named Mary in the town of Nazareth. The angel appeared to her and said, You'll become pregnant and have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. He'll become a king whose kingdom will never end. This will happen supernaturally by God's own spirit, so this baby will be called God's son God revealed to Mary and her soon to be husband Joseph that this boy was the long awaited Messiah King the one whom God had promised he'd send to rescue his people sure enough exactly as God had said the next year Mary gave birth to a son whom they named Jesus which means the God who saves the Bible says that Jesus grew up in both height and wisdom like any other boy and was loved by God and everyone who knew him he lived a remarkable life always choosing to live in God's ways and do what was good and right and perfect. As a man, Jesus called people to follow him, inviting them to be a part of what he called the kingdom of God, calling people to once again live under God's rule and reign. He said, God blesses those who realize their need for him, the humble and poor, the gentle and the merciful. The kingdom of God belongs to them. God blesses the pure in heart and those who hunger and thirst to be with him. He taught people that the kingdom of God is within our hearts. He said, God showed his great love for people by sending me, his only son, to this world. Anyone who believes in me and lives in my ways will find life that is complete and eternal. He sent me here to save people, not to judge them. Those who want to live in sin and darkness will reject me and they'll bring God's judgment on themselves. But those who want to live in God's ways will trust me and they'll live forever. As God had promised, he sent Jesus to rescue humanity from their sin and the penalty of death. God accepted Jesus' perfect life in place of our own. And Jesus was brutally beaten and he died painfully on a wooden cross taking the punishment that all of rebellious humanity deserved. Three days later, Jesus conquered death when God raised him back to life. And he was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses. Soon afterward, Jesus went to be with his Father in heaven. And he promised that he would send his own Holy Spirit to come and dwell within those who followed him and trusted him. The Spirit would remind them of all that Jesus had taught and transform their hearts to be like him and give them power to walk in the ways of God just like Jesus had. Jesus also sent his followers to go out and tell others about him and his life and his sacrifice for their sins and lead them to trust him and also walk in his ways. This was the beginning of what the Bible calls the church. It's a community of people all over the world who, because of Jesus, once again enjoy a life that is full and complete, living in the ways of God. And you can join this amazing story. The story continues with us. The Bible also tells us the end of the story. Jesus promised to come back one day to destroy all evil and sin and rebellion. Then there'll be no more sickness or pain or death. God's kingdom will come in fullness and everyone and everything will live under his perfect rule. Until then, we get to live in his ways, giving people a foretaste of what life is like in the kingdom of God. If you've never heard or never shared this story with someone before, The next best time is now.
1: Okay, well, I've been critiqued before that I never smile when I preach. It's because I'm not funny and so there's no humor in my messages ever. And so I'm gonna do my smiling now and say that I love seeing all of you. I know a lot of you braved the weather for me. My soccer team is here. And a lot of my friends came, um, and so I appreciate those of you who came specifically for me, and I appreciate all of you just coming. Um, So that's a lot. That was 66 books of the Bible crammed into eight-minute summary. That summary from beginning to end should reveal to us a God that has been and is in crazy pursuit of his people, that's motivated and born out of his love for us and for the world, and so much so that he sent his son to be a full display of that love. So I want that to be my story. I want to say my story is that I was pursued by a God who ordained all my days, who calls me daughter, and now calls me to display his image, living in close relationship with him and caring for his people. So as a social worker, I work with kids and parents whose stories are not anything like that. Their generational stories are of dysfunction, indifference from parents, not having a place where they feel pursued or wanted or important. That may be closer to your story than the gospel story we just heard. What well, my clients are taught or showed by their parents, often informs what they believe about this world and about themselves and about life and love. And this can be extreme. I work with a teenager who was removed from a home where he was abused. And when he would be hit, and he was often hit, he would be asked, who are you? And the hitting would not stop until he replied, I'm nobody. It took a lot of work and time before this child believed he was somebody and that he was worthy of love and belonging. Some examples are not as extreme. Some of my kids report they're overlooked, scapegoated, ignored. They don't matter within their family. Others say that the only time their parents talk to them is when they need an outlet for their anger. I hope this is not your story, but it may be some of yours. This story is not of anyone who calls them daughter or son in a loving way, not God, not their parent. And their story is not of a parent who longs to draw near to them in relationship. But that is not our God. Our God longs to draw near to us in relationship. God showed his desire as Father to be near to us throughout the story. First, he walked and hung out with Adam and Eve in the garden in intimacy. And then he moved his presence into a tent to be close to the Israelites. In Exodus, the book of Exodus, he told Moses, Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Then the ultimate expression of nearness then was Jesus who took on flesh and dwelled among his people. And now we have the Holy Spirit who has been sent to dwell in and among us. What we learned through listening to this gospel story that we just heard is that before Adam and Eve did anything to prove their worth, God was already declaring them very good. The Bible said we are created in his image and then we're an intimate creation. So I teach the kids upstairs in the treehouse. And every time I teach, I feel like I learn from the kids' curriculum. Recently, we did talk about Adam and Eve and creation And the part I liked learning best about that was that God just spoke most creation into being Just just his words. He said let there be light. Let there be land. Let there be water and bam that all happened. But when he made man in his own image, he did not just speak it. He got involved Creating from the dust and breathing into us the breath of life He took care with his best part of creation the ones he longed to be in right relationship with. And that's you, and that's me. When Adam and Eve sinned, he did not stop his pursuit of them. He called out, where are you? They did not stop being his children after they chose to pursue their own agenda and sinful desires. Just like we don't stop being his children when we do things like go our own way, think about ourselves only, fail at kindness and patience and so much more. Those are all sins too. So, I love the Jesus Storybook Bible. I don't know how many of you had that, but when I read it to my kids, I seem to understand pursuit differently. It shows how the damage caused from sin in the Garden of Eden would lead God to demonstrate his ultimate pursuit, and that's through Jesus. So, I'm going to read you an excerpt from this Bible that illustrates this better than I can. Hopefully, it's readable. Okay, sort of. God loved his children too much to let the story end there, even though he knew he would suffer. God had a plan, a magnificent dream. One day he would get his children back. One day he would make their world their perfect home again. And one day he would wipe every tear from their eyes. You see, no matter what, in spite of everything, God would love his children with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And though they would forget him and run from him deep in their hearts, God's children would miss him and always and long for him. Lost children yearning for their home. Before they left the garden, God whispered a promise to Abraham and Eve and said, It will not always be so. I will come to rescue you. And when I do, I'm going to do battle against the snake. I'll get rid of the sin and the dark and the sadness and let you in here. I'm coming back for you. And one day he would. One day God himself would come. So this God, who owns everything and needs nothing... Again, he owns everything and needs nothing. He doesn't need us. He could create a million beings that would just worship him and, and do everything he said. But he needs nothing but wants us. He wants us in relationship with him. And he wants to give us choice to have that relationship or not. He sent his son to demonstrate while well, he doesn't need us, he wants us. He longs to be reconciled with us. Jesus, before his crucifixion, was in the Garden of Gethsemane crying out before his crucifixion. And the cry of his heart was for the ones he loved, his people. His sacrifice and his obedience was motivated by his longing for the human heart, for my heart and for your heart. That night was lonely, filled with angst, and yet his cry of our Jesus was, Father, I long to be with mine. In John 17, it says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. Is this hard for you to believe? Does this go against what you were taught? A friend of mine recently shared a struggle with this. As a different perception of God was instilled in him growing up by his church. So he used the analogy of often feeling as though God was up there, holding him by a string like a spider, waiting for him to sin, and then he would drop him as he judged him harshly. So as we're going through this gospel primer with my friend, he said that it's, he's always known that he was a sinner first. And that was highly emphasized and then he knew God's love as opposed to God's overwhelming love while we were still sinners He shared his struggle that hearing this gospel story and reconciling it in his mind Is difficult because at first teaching is so ingrained The man who wrote the workbook we are basing the sermons off of said What we believe about God and what he is ultimately like will determine what we believe about ourselves and about how life works if this is your case, I challenge you to look to the cross, to the wood from a tree upon which Jesus suffered immense pain for you. His sacrifice comes not with silence like the Israelites had for 400 years, but with a loud proclamation that you are his. As, and his as crucifixion says you are worth every whip, every stone thrown, every spit landed, every insult hurled, every thorn pierced. Again, the storybook Bible says this better than I can. So here it reads, They nailed Jesus to the cross. Father, forgive them, Jesus gasped. They don't understand what they are doing. You've come to rescue us, people shouted, but you can't even rescue yourself. But they were wrong. Jesus could have rescued himself. A legion of angels would have flown to his side if he had called If you really are the son of God, you would climb right down off that cross, they said. And of course, they were right. Jesus could have just climbed down. Actually, he could have just said a word and made it all stop. Like when he healed the little girl and stilled the storm and fed 5,000 people. But Jesus stayed. You see, they didn't understand. It wasn't the nails that kept Jesus there. It was his love. Papa, Jesus cried, frantically searching the sky. Papa, where are you? Don't leave me. And for the first time, and the last, when he spoke, nothing happened. Just a horrible, endless silence. God didn't answer. He turned away from his boy. Tears rolled down Jesus' face, the face of one who would wipe every tear from every eye. I love that line. It wasn't the nails that kept him there. My kids often say when we read this, see, I'm getting choked up here. Mom, why are you crying? And I say, it's happy tears. (laughs) Because my kids try to distinguish between sad tears and happy tears. I say it's happy tears because the nails didn't keep him there. Guys, your lo- his love for us kept him up on the cross. And so it, it was his crazy pursuing love for all of us. God's pursuit is also seen in Luke fifteen three through 6. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you have a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. He pursues even one sheep. And it's not the best, the most obedient, the most religious sheep. He pursues the one that is lost. And he is pursuing you today if you feel lost. He is pursuing you if you feel out of reach of his love. He is pursuing you if you think you don't have a need for him. And he's pursuing you, too, if you're walking well with him. I love the story of Hagar in the Old Testament. And when I think about pursuit, I keep coming back to her. She lived 2,000 years before Jesus, and she worked as a, in a foreign land as a servant to the rich man called Abraham and his wife Sarah. As Sarah was not able to have children, they followed a the common practice of the day. She offered her servant to Abraham. So when Hagar became pregnant, however, Sarah grew jealous, and she mistreated Hagar. Hagar fled their home and ran to the desert, but God pursued her. He did not dismiss her as a servant or as not a main character in the Bible, but rather in his word we see a God who cared enough to send an angel in pursuit of Hagar, to show her her value, to give her a promise and a blessing. We had a friend in our small group who was feeling defeated in her job. And she came to group and she was struggling with some identity stuff And so we spent time listening on her behalf to see if God would give us something that would encourage her. I don't remember all that I heard from God that day, but one thing that stuck was I heard God say, she is my beloved. Now, if I can admit, sometimes I think that word's a little cheesy or overused. I was like, I'm not going to say that to her. I'll say that she is loved or something. But I heard God say, no, she is my beloved. So I told her what I heard, and later on she texted me, And she told me that her name, Amy, means beloved. And that through the Spirit giving me that word, she felt the personal love of the Father. That it was God pursuing his sheep, sharing about her identity as his creation and his love. In the Gospel Primer Workbook, it asks us to list out our identities. One of the identities that is primary for me is mother. And as I've shared from stage before, I struggle with bonding an attachment with my youngest child who is adopted. And I still struggle with feeling that I'm not meeting her needs, that I am failing to secure her identity as beloved of mine and God's. So when I was praying about this one day, I got a picture of a rocking chair in my mind. We got rid of the glider we had when all my kids were infants, but I thought I should get one to rock her as she is still very light and would fit easily on my lap. But then life happened and the image went away. And then at a Saturday retreat we had here a couple months ago, I got the picture of a rocking chair again. So I knew it was from God, and I knew it was for my good and Bria's good if I didn't ignore this. So I called my mom and shared, and she just happened to have my great-grandmother's rocking chair in the basement, which she dropped off that day. And since that day a few months ago, if I am home in the evenings, I have not missed a night rocking her before bed. I tell her to meet me in the rocking chair, and she grabs her blanket, and she waits. I sing the same song to her, and then I pray over her. There are days when we've battled, even right before we get in the rocking chair, with the teeth brushing, the potty, whatever, we've battled. And I sing and I pray through gritted teeth, because I don't want to be doing it, right? But I keep at it, because she has come to count on those moments. And to be honest, so have I. I asked her recently how she feels when she is rocked and she said I feel happy and like you love me My prayer has been that she would know that she is God's daughter first And then she is mine And that she would know that how loved and wanted she is by both God and by me And here is what I know God was pursuing Bria when he put that image of a rocking chair in my mind He knew that it would help her know her worth and her love his love But he was also pursuing me. He was speaking to this need of mine to feel like I wasn't failing her. He was speaking to who he created me to be, and that is mother. And he was pursuing me and my motherhood identity. There may be those of you who say God hasn't or is not pursuing you, but I believe that any expression of love by someone who follows Jesus that you have received is the way He's pursuing you. If you have felt any comfort in your grief, any hope in a day where it should be hopeless, any peace when you're in a crazy situation, you shouldn't have any peace, need love from any interaction. If there's one sermon that spoke to you, I have a friend who said one time she was here when she first started coming, and she's like, Bo was speaking directly to me. I know the message was for me. If you have felt any of that, if one worship song touched you, let me know, let me let you know that God is in pursuit of you, and he is doing it through all of those ways. Because you are worth it, just like Bria was worth him pursuing, just like I am worth pursuing, you are worth being pursued by God. I said earlier I want my story to be that I was pursued by a God who ordained all of my days, who calls me daughter, and now calls me to display his image, live in close relationship with him, and care for his people. Can that be your story too? Can can the knowledge that he is in pursuit of you Maybe his sheep gone astray, his prodigal son, his daughter who doesn't think she's worthy, his son who feels he has to earn his identity, his daughter who has too many idols, alcohol, money, prestige, his son who has no interest in him. Can this knowledge of his pursuit change your story? The Bible is a living and active story. It wasn't just written for us. It is meant to be lived out through us. The love we receive from the Father is supposed to be shared with the world with the hurting, the lonely, the orphans, the widows, our neighbors, our co-workers. We can share this knowledge of a good father pursuing us, even to the cross of his son. The goal of this series that we're in is that we become a living proclamation and display of God, of the God we love in his kingdom. We cannot do that. I can't do it. If we don't believe we are pursued and worthy of being pursued by this God. He breathed and ordained every one of your days, and he is coming after you, we can be freed to pursue others with god's love that we have been recipients of We can do very little for god's kingdom if our identity is not secure as his chosen With that love you can be free to change the world with your love To show others what god's kingdom is like here on earth You get to witness to them and share the story of a god that loves you well so I have my three kids, Molly, Nate, and Bria, and I want their story to be when they're asked by a friend or a small group or by their coworkers when they're older, when they say, what's your story? I want their answer to reflect that they knew they were created by this God in his image, pursued like crazy by his love, and now they try to love others in that same way. Let's let that be all of our stories. I would love for you just to take a few minutes here to ask God to reveal to you a time that he was pursuing you, even if you weren't aware of it. I want you to be bold and ask him for a picture in your mind or a memory of a time when you knew he was pursuing you. And if nothing comes to mind in these couple of minutes while we pray and reflect, I want you to pray that this week he would show you how he's in great pursuit of you because he is and because you're worth it. So let's pray. Oh father from the beginning you have said you long to be near to us Thank you that you are in pursuit right now Even as we speak that there are some hearts in this audience god that you are pursuing like crazy God, I pray that they would not see themselves as sinners first, but they would see themselves as loved by you God move in their hearts right now as we speak bring to mind the way that you are pursuing them god I pray, God, that you they would experience your grace this week and your love and your nearness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
2: My faith will stand everyone for braving the roads today. Um, Safe travels home.